Today's message was brought to you by the gifts and love offerings of the people of Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. Pastor Jason Swanson is our senior pastor here at RBC, and this message was recorded during our regular Sunday morning service times. Pastor Jason is currently in a series he's calling a walk through the book of Acts, Jesus at Work. Today we're in part 12 of our walk through the book of Acts, in a sermon that Jason is entitled, A Common Community. Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, and today Jason is looking at verses 43 through 47. Here's Jason. Well, good morning. I am Pastor Jason, the the senior pastor, and I have the, the privilege of walking us through the book of Acts. And as I was studying this, this passage this week, I was reminded as we're going to look into a, a community that, that you'll notice from your notes in the way that I've entitled the sermon today, the early church, a common community, that this community actually wasn't common in any stretch of the imagination. And we're going to see that today in the way that they gathered, in the way that they glorified the Lord, the way that they worshipped Him, the way that they praised Him, the way that they looked after one another. But my mind went back to Papua New Guinea in the early days when, when, when I was still learning the language of the Siawi people. And I went to the village one morning and they were having a great big village meeting. And there's probably 40 houses in our village And they were all gathered in the middle of the village, basically around six houses in a great big circle. And there was a guy standing up and he was giving this great big speech and he was, he he seemed really mad. And I, as, as the case was during this time, I'd, I'd find somebody that was a nice guy that I could understand him a little bit better than maybe somebody else. And I'd just stand right next to him. And then I'd just periodically, hey, what, what did they say? Hey, what did they say? Hey, what does that mean? Hey, what is, and I just want him to give me a recap. And so I, so I go up to the first guy and, and, and other times he's been really gracious and helpful. This time he's like, sorry, I can't hear it. I'm like, what do you mean you can't hear it? Of course you can hear it. So then I go on to the next guy and, 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 and Penny, I'm sorry, I I didn't give you this. (laughs) Thank you for all that you do. (laughs) So I go on to the next guy and he tells me the same thing. Oh, sorry, I, I can't hear. And so I get closer and, and finally, somebody gives me a little bit of something. I say, oh yeah, they're talking about somebody being sick. But that was it. It was like pulling teeth to get them to explain to me what's going on. And so I whip out my, my little recorder. And, and I, and I kind of get in everybody's way. And I, and I just record this guy talking for, for about five, ten minutes. And then I pull back. And I try to ask more people what's going on. And again, they're not telling me what's going on. And, and I pull back and I pull back. And I think that they actually think that I went home. Because now I see this great big dish, this pot, being passed around. And, and as I'm looking, I actually see people putting money into this, this, this pot that's being passed around. And it's being passed and passed. And it's going from one person to the next. And, and, and okay, when I say money, I, I mean like they don't have much money. So maybe a dollar, fifty cents, the equivalent of what people are putting into, into this big pot. And it's something that the entire village is doing. doesn't matter which line you are from, what your heritage is, everybody is, is putting something in there. And I try to ask somebody what that money is and nobody will tell me. Huh. So I end up going home and I, and I have a guy come into my office and, I, and I've taken that recording and I put it onto my computer and I have this guy listen to it. 
and, and I have five minutes and all he comes back with is, oh yeah, th- th- there's a, a child who's sick and we were kind of taking an offering for this child. And I'm like, man, that makes no sense in about eight million different ways. This was not something that, that I've ever heard of you guys doing before. But okay, yeah, if you just want to lie to me, that's fine. The years go on and I get more and more proficient in language. I go back to that tape and you, and, and you know what I hear? is actually they were taking money in order to give to a, another man in a different village who was a sorcerer. And what this man had said was, you know why some of your children are getting sick and dying? It's because I work some sort of voodoo hex stuff on them. And unless you pay me a whole bunch of money, your kids are going to keep dying. And so what did they do? They took up this collection and, 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 and they gave it to him. I say all that because it, it really doesn't give a good picture of what we're going to see today. But if you fast forward and you go maybe 12 or 13 years ahead to that same village in Papua New Guinea, I remember another time where we gathered among me and, 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 and the elders and, and, and the deacons at, at this point, and we were having one of our meetings. And all of a sudden, everybody got really silent. And I'm like, okay, we just prayed. And now everybody's supposed to leave. How come nobody's leaving? Why is everybody looking at me? But when I try to get eye contact, they all do this. And finally, somebody says, you give it to him. And I'm like, give me what? And somebody reaches in their pocket and pulls out a, a 20 Kina note, which is the equivalent of maybe 12 American dollars. And they say, Jason, we know that you've now been here for eight months. And normally you guys leave in in the airplane every six months to go have a little bit of a break. We know that that you guys don't have much support, much financial aid right now. And so we want to give you this money in order to help you buy the airplane. Now, that that money wasn't enough for the airplane. But it, it shows you that they understood what it meant to give of the Lord and to be part of a community of a band of believers, which is what we're going to see today. Turn with me to to Acts chapter 2. And we're going to finish up Acts chapter 2. 43 to 47. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common and they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We ask now that You would be the one that guides us into all truth. That You would allow this to shape how we function here as a body of believers as we desire to honor You and to walk before You. In Jesus' precious name, Amen. So last week as we wrapped up and... and we saw that that the believers, they were devoted to these four things, right? They were devoted to the Word. They were devoted, devoted to fellowship with one another. They were devoted to communion. And they were devoted to prayer. 
Now what we're going to see is, is, is we're going to see a, a further glimpse into what this fellowship, one with another, looked like. And, and, and how did it play out in their daily lives as a body? Or did it not play out? And what we're going to see is, as you'll notice from your notes, that they had these four things in common. Four traits that, that you can see characterized in, in them as a body. And we're going to see that, that this was a community of believers that was close. So close that, that, that the terminology used over and over again in these verses is together, being one, being as one with all, like this. Fear was coming what to everyone. They were together, meaning in one place. They had all things in common. They were sharing them with all. They had one mind. They were taking meals together. They were praising God together. And so what we're going to see is, is first we're going to see a common fear. That they all had a healthy understanding of God's vastness. And that brought them to, to a sense of awe. Then we're, then we're going to see that they had a common goal. They were committed to meeting each other's needs. We're going to see that they had a common practice and, and, and that portrayed itself in three different ways. They desired to study the Word, to remember the Lord and communion, and to have fellowship one with another. And finally, we're going to see they have a common focus where they desired to praise God and to speak of Him to others. This really is a, a glimpse into a church when it was still very young and vibrant, where it was holding many things in common. But we have to remember where we're coming from, right? And, and we might think that what we saw last week and, and how so many repented and were saved and then came forward in baptism, that that was it that it possibly might have been just a, a one-day occurrence, that this wasn't something that happened each day, but the reality is that this continues on. It, it wasn't like a, a one-hit wonder, or, or however you, you, you want to, you know, one and done in, in basketball or sports or this or that. No, there's a continuation of how they started that they continue. Why? Because true saving faith always produces fruit in accordance with repentance. So, so let's take a look at, at these common traits. As the first one is a, a common fear. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. First, we see who was involved in this sense of awe. Everyone. Not just the apostles. Everyone. And commentators are all over the map on exactly what this means. Some say it's speaking of those outside of the church. And yet when, when I look at Scripture and, and, and as, as I dug into the Greek a little bit more, this idea of, of everyone actually has a component that, that's speaking of the individuality of, of everyone. So it's not just the fact that, there's, that we're supposed to be thinking of them as a great big group of 3,000 plus but that these 3,000 plus actually had individuals within them and how they related one with another. That is where we're going to go. That is what we're going to see. And this idea of, of feeling awe, if you looked at the Greek, you'd see no verb that said feeling at all. Actually, what, what you'd see is it says it's the verb to come. And, and, and awe, you wouldn't see awe, you'd see fear. And so literally, if we were going to translate this, it's, it's and fear coming to every soul. And, and what does this fear represent? It, it represents a, a proper understanding of God that, that brings you to a place where you show Him reverence. 
where you show him respect, you have reverence and respect for him. And if you think about it, the book of Romans gives us quite a bit of insight into a, a, a person's perspective outside of Christ on who God is. Does natural man have a fear of God? No, Romans would teach us the opposite, that no fear of God was before their eyes. That's what Romans 3.18 says. So, So I believe God's trying to show us right off from the start that one of the most powerful acts that He does in in saving a, a person and granting them salvation is, is turning their perspective on who He is and magnifying Himself so that their view of God is no longer this little view of God to where they don't fear Him, they don't respect Him, they don't have reverence for Him. Instead, it just keeps going and going and going. And their understanding of God and their fear for Him and, and the sense of awe just continues to grow. That, that, that's what's behind this word, that it wasn't just one day that this happened, but it's actually, in the Greek, it's an ongoing thing. Day by day, this is happening to where this fear, this understanding, this respect, this reverence, this awe of God continues to grow and grow and grow. And and one of the reasons is because look at, at what's happening. And many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. We've looked at wonders and signs before, in the past, we, we saw it early on in the book of Acts. Why? Because in the life of Jesus, what is it characterized as? He, man, over and over again, He did many miracles, signs, and wonders, but He never just did them alone. He, he would preach the Gospel. He would preach the coming Kingdom along with those miracles to substantiate that He was indeed from God. So it was God's validation on Jesus's words, showing that, hey, this is coming from God. And now, continuing on with the apostles, it's the same thing. Why is it important for for us to recognize that this was happening through the apostles and not through everyone? Because they had been designated with a special job and a special purpose. They were the ones that were the, the foundation stones of the building of the church, with Christ as the chief cornerstone. So as such they had to have their message validated. At this point, we have to remember, they don't have God's Word as you and I have it today. Right? They don't have the writings of the apostles. They are the apostles. They're just starting. And so what writings do they have? I believe that's why they talk about going to the temple. They they had the Old Testament writings. And where were the scrolls? Look, there. They could get them and they could read them. But it's interesting about this idea of fear. We, we see it in the book of Proverbs. Where does the, the beginning of wisdom begin? It, it begins with a, a, a fear of God. And, and, and as we think about it, as Proverbs 1.7 says, this fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But what about Jesus? What did some of His miracles actually do and the hearts and the lives of the disciples. Do you remember Mark 4.41 with, with the occurrence of, of this big storm? And do you remember what happens? As Jesus comes up, and, and, and what does He do? He speaks, and instantly everything goes flat. But what is the response of the disciples? 
Mark 4.41 says this, They became very much afraid. Same word. Does that mean that they were afraid of the storm? No, before they were afraid of the storm. Now I think their fear is actually greater. Because they have seen something so awesome, so incredibly unexplainable, and the power that Jesus is manifesting, they don't know what else to think about it except for to come up with this holy fear, this reverence, this respect. I believe that that's what they had as they watched God work over and over and over again, day in and day out. But it wasn't just that. as that all that they, that they had was these miracles and, 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 and this, this sense of awe, this experience of this wonderment of how great God was. That's not all that they had in common. Look, look at the next two verses. They, they also had a, a common goal. So the one relates to their common fear related to, to them and their perception of God. This one relates to them and their perception of one another. Because that's what God has called us into as believers. That, that's His plan. That's why Christ is building a church. It's not about one person. It's about a body coming together that we then represent Him to the world. And so, of course, it's natural for him to go to, okay, they had a fear of God, but then what did they do with one another? This is what they did with one another. They had this common goal, and, and, and look at it. I mean, talk about challenging. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common, and they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. First, we see that there's a condition on who was the one involved in this whole process. It, it was believers all those who had believed, actually it says, all those who were being saved, all those who were believing, that they were what? They, they were together. They had all things in, in, in common. This, this can be a negative word. It, it can mean something impure or unclean, but here it's definitely used in a positive sense. And it relates to the depth of the fellowship that they were enjoying. That they had all things in common. Titus 1.4 speaks of a common faith. Jude 3 speaks of a common salvation. That these were the things that they, that they were majoring on. And so what did they do? They, they, they began selling their property and their possessions. Not just their stuff, but, but they were literally selling their land and their homes. And was that because they were forced to? No. This was something they were doing voluntarily. And why were they doing it? Because they recognized the needs that others had within their body. And sharing with all as anyone might have need. This this is pointing to the fact that as the people had need, that need was met. It's not just that they sold everything all at once in some sort of emotional moment. But, but this verb actually says, when, when it says began selling, it's, it's, it's a long extended process to where, where emotions involved. I'm sure they were. But it's more than that. It's recognizing we are part of a body. And as a body, I, I, I'm invested in you. And I care about not only your, your spiritual well-being, but your physical well-being. And, and that's how they lived. 
and the Jews had, had this as, as, as part of their, their customs and their culture. That whenever they would have something like the Feast of Pentecost, it, it was known that hospitality was something that you just extended freely. If there were visitors that came into Jerusalem, you just naturally would go and help them without requiring them to pay you anything. So I believe what they do is they just take that and they nuance it and it turns into this wonderful way of looking after one another. And you know, some guys go off and, and, and they talk, oh, this is, this is showing that the Bible endorses communism and the Bible endorses socialism and all these other things. I'm, Whoa, where did you get that? It, it, of course that isn't what this is talking about. This isn't talking about something that you're forced to do. This isn't talking about something saying, oh, your property isn't your property, it belongs to everyone. Or socialism. Okay, well, your property is your property, but if you get too much, then we're going to bring it down so that everybody gets something. But no, we're, we're not going to see that. that. That isn't what's being expressed here. Because it's not compulsory, it's not something that you are obligated, you have to do, or else you're not part of the body. Why were they doing this? Because they were generous. Because of generosity. Because of grace. And where did they learn this from? Well, they learned it from what we just saw in chapter 2. That, that God could have rightfully just wiped them out. And said, okay, look at what you did to your own Messiah. But instead, God in His grace is just gracing them upon grace. And so now what are they doing? Well, their natural reaction is to go ahead and grace upon grace others. And so that's what they're doing. Man, what a beautiful picture of living in a community as believers where we are looking after one another. But I already know what some of you are thinking, and, and, and honestly, what I think sometimes too is, oh yes, but Pastor Jason, you said already, this isn't commanded. We don't have to do this. And if you want even more impetus behind that fire that you're building in order to keep holding on to everything that's yours, you could even say, well, you know what? We don't even see this outside of this chapter. We won't see this again in the book of Acts. We won't see this replicated. This isn't something that, that happens over and over again. Every time a church is established and the apostles preach and a church is then birthed with the apostle Paul or with Philip or with whoever, that then, man, this is what they do. This is how these believers meet. That they give up of everything of one another and then they, no, we, we don't see this again. So does that mean that, that we have a loophole? And so, man, we can just do with whatever we want with whatever God gives us. No, listen to the words of Jesus. Luke 12, 5, 12, 15. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. I mean, we, we could go to lots of scriptures. We could go to Mark 10, 24 to 25 when, when Jesus is talking with, with the rich young ruler. And his disciples don't understand Jesus' response that it's so difficult for a rich man to be saved. They were thinking, oh man, this guy's it. The Lord, you're, he's gonna, he's gonna take over. He's gonna become the, the biggest leader of us all. This is, man, this guy's got prestige. He's got power. He's a man of influence. He's got money. This has gotta work. But you know what this problem was? His money. Because he held on to it so tight that it became his God. And so this is what Jesus says to them. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus answered again and said to them, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. 
It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The Apostle Paul says it like this in 1 Timothy. Giving a warning. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. 1 Timothy 6, 17-19 Don't miss that perspective. That Praise the Lord for the wealth that, that we enjoy in, in this country, but don't, so hold, tight, don't hold so tightly on, onto the wealth that it becomes all. And in all, we're going to see in Acts 20.35 that it is more blessed to give than to receive. And so that's the challenge to us. And it is a challenge. To try living in a, in a, in a village in, in Papua New Guinea where the people have nothing. Where if, if I was to go around and ask all of the men, how many pairs of shorts do you have? The average response would be one or one and a half. And when I say a half, it's because those shorts are so old, they're full of holes and they won't wear them in public, but they'll take them to go take a bath. And then their shirts, it would be the same because some of their shirts are so holy, but they'll keep using them to the place to where they wouldn't even bring them to church. They take them off and go shirtless in, in, in church because they thought, oh, they were going to be shamed or something. How do you minister to a people like that where I have ten shirts? And I'd love to give them all. You have to trust the Lord and you hold loosely onto the things that He gives you. And you be a blessing where you can be a blessing. And we as a team, we gave each other the freedom. Man, if you want to give this guy a shirt, give him a shirt. Before the Lord, walk before the Lord and let's be gracious and and loving towards the people that we are here to to serve. So they had this common goal of looking after each other. They, they had this common understanding of, of how great God is that, that brought them to a, a sense of awe. And we'll see they, they had a common practice. A common practice. Verse 46. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. What we see here is they're doing basically three things. And, and my contention is, is that, that the first thing is they were spending time in the Word together. Second is they were having communion, much as we saw last week. And, and, and the third thing is, as we saw last week, they were enjoying fellowship. Continuing here is the same word that we saw last week to be devoted to. So they weren't, they weren't just continuing in these things. They were devoted to these things. They were persisting in these things. They were busily engaged in these things. They were doing this a lot of their time. This was that important to them. And no doubt they were already regularly used to going to the temple. So it wasn't such a great big jump for them. But they nuanced it now as believers in Christ. And no doubt that, that Peter had already learned from Christ the, the necessity of, of bringing God's Word. That's what Peter was doing. 
or whoever was preaching. I, I don't doubt. I believe that, that we see here the leadership of what was going on too. That the apostles were the ones in, in, in leadership and they were preaching and teaching. But we see how they were meeting. Not only were they devoted to doing these things, but it says that they were doing it with one mind. This is from the compound word, at the same place, and then passion. They were passionate about coming together. And that's what they were devoting themselves to. It's the idea of having a mutual consent or agreement with one mind, one purpose, one impulse, unanimously. Does this mean that they didn't have minds? Does this mean that they were all a bunch of robots and, and that one was their leader and they, yes, as you say, that's... <laughs> no. Th- this means, I believe, that they were keeping the main thing the main thing. And, and what was the main thing? Their common belief in God, their common faith, their common Savior. That's what they had in common. And, and so that's what they were doing. How, how many times, and, and, and this is comical to me because... I, I ministered in a place to where, honestly, the floor had great big holes in it. And I had to be careful at times where I was walking or else my foot would go through and everybody would laugh at me as I was preaching. And yet, how many times in America have churches split over, oh no, we wanted the carpet to be red instead of blue. Or over, how come you're not doing hymns anymore? You fill in the blank, Right? These things, what? Their preferences, their particular likes. And to be completely honest, if those were the things that we were making as mountains instead of small little molehills, we would not have lasted in Papua New Guinea because our co-workers didn't always have the same preferences that we had. But you know what we did? We said, you know what? Man, those are something of the ground. Those are little things. Let's major on this. Let's honor our God. Let's keep preaching His Word, teaching His Word, and letting God have His way in this. And notice too what they say. So they came to the temple, and, and I don't believe that's the inside of the temple. It's, it's going to be the outside of the temple where they had all these outside courts. And some of them are large enough that 200,000 people could, could sit there or meet there, such as the courtyard of the Gentiles, that many believe that that's probably where they were meeting, and that when they had Pentecost, that that's where they met. So this was a natural location for them to come back to, week after week, day after day after day after Pentecost. But it doesn't say that that's all that they did. You'll notice there's two different ways that they were meeting. They, they, They honestly had a formal worship, and they had an informal worship. This is why I believe that home fellowship groups, small groups, however you want to turn them, whatever they, they look like to you, why they are so important. Because this is what, what, what we see happening here. They, they were meeting on the one hand in the temple, but then on the other hand, they were meeting from house to house. And what were they doing? They were breaking bread. Why is that? Maybe because it was too hard to do in, in, in a big place, such as you know at the temple courts there. And when you have over 3,000 people, it's just not manageable. And so instead, they'd meet in homes and then they would go ahead and and, and break bread one with another. That's the same verb, the same word that we saw last week. And that's how I know that this this is talking about communion. But that isn't all that they did because look at what it says next. And they were taking meals together. Do you know what that means? That means they were eating. Any of you have been who have been outside of America, you recognize 
how important meals are in a culture, right? Huge. Outside of America, we've dumbed it down to where I can cruise by McDonald's on my way home and get a meal for all of my kids. They can eat it in the van. We'll be done before we even get home. Right? Man, that's great fellowship as a family. Isn't it? And yet, that's what we settle for among us as a body. If I were to ask you, how many of you had somebody from RBC at your house this week? Raise your hand. I'll bet all of us would be quite embarrassed. Yeah. And so what, 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 what are they talking about? They're talking about sharing a meal with one another, eating. You know, in our tribe, you know how important this was? That, that when somebody was married, they weren't actually married until the husband offered his wife some food and she literally took it from his hand. Then it was consummated. Before that time, it was not a done deal. That's how important eating was with one another. This is something that, that, that we need to consider. And this is what they would call a, a fellowship meal. But, but look at how they met. I think this is, this is quite insightful too. They met with, you, you see two different things characterizing as they're meeting in their homes and, and, and I don't know if this is just dealing with the meals together or if it's everything, but it's with gladness and sincerity of heart. With gladness, this is full of exultation. It's joy. It's a state of intense joy such that there's implications that it's, that there's speaking involved and some sort of body movement. I, I don't even know what that means. <laughs> but, but what it tells me is that they were so wrapped up in one another that it was a fun time. And can I say that we can have fun times as believers? Enjoying meals with one another. Oh, please. I'd love to hear an amen right now because we, we can, right? We, we can gather with one another, have someone over to your house and, and have some wonderful time laughing and enjoying one another because of God's grace and what He's brought us together. And, and, and what? And sincerity of heart. This is talking about a simplicity of heart that's associated with humility. Thinking less of yourself. There's a word picture implied in here that's that literally means free from rocks or smooth. And, and I believe what it's getting at is that there's literally no stones of selfishness in their hearts. They're willing to come to one another and just be open and genuine. And you know what that does? And that just builds relationship. That brings us closer and closer to one another. And that's what was happening. So we've seen they had a, they had a common fear of God. They had a common goal to provide for one another. They they had this common practice of spending time in the Word, communion, as as well as fellowship. And and, and then the final thing that we're going to see is they had this. They had a common focus. That that even with everything that they were doing, there was one thing that was the main thing, and this is the main thing for them. The common focus was towards God. It was Godward. Look at 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Praising God is, is, is literally to express approval, to speak of excellence of a person. And there's two aspects in, in, involved in, in this particular word. It's to praise and to tell. So on the one hand, we, we have worship. We have singing to the Lord. And, and on the other hand, tell. It's, it's telling of His, of His goodness, of His glory, of His grandeur, of His, how marvelous He is. 
And, and, and you could think of that even as prayer. And, and then we see that God just blessed them and it says that they were having favor with all people. Think about how uncommon this was. Because what they had basically just renounced their, renounced their Jewish faith and yet they were coming to the temple every day. And instead of getting favor, which is the word for grace, which means a, a favorable attitude or disposition towards someone, or a goodwill towards someone, instead of that, what they should have been getting was persecution. Right? And, and we'll see that later in, in, in chapter 4 and chapter 5 of Acts. But I believe that God is just letting us know that He was all over this and that Christ was in this and active as, as we see with the, the very last sentence. As if we took it literally, it would say Lord first because that's what's there. And the Lord was adding to their number Day by day, those who were being saved. Remember how I said at the beginning that Jesus Christ is in focus, that He is at work in the book of Acts. Well, that's what we see here. It's the curios. It's, it's the Lord who is the one doing the saving. The saving is, again, passive. It's, it's this idea where you're drowning and somebody needs to come and help you. That's where these guys were. And, and, and Christ is doing the saving. But look at what He's doing. He's adding to their number. That's that's talking about adding to a group that's already existed or attaching yourself to an individual to whom henceforth you then belong. But think about that for a moment. How, how do you get added into a group? On the one hand, it's totally God, yes. But on the other hand, it's it's totally the church. It's totally the believer's. Tell me what happens if somebody comes to RBC and they come four times and nobody ever welcomes them. Nobody ever greets them. Nobody ever says hello. What will that person do? You think they'll stay? Maybe by God's grace they'll stay at RBC. I believe it's implied that in order for them to be added to the group, they had to be welcomed. They had to be loved on. Somebody had to wrap their arms around them. How are we doing with that? And there's so many things just in these short little verses that, that were so convicting to me this week as I mulled over this. And, and, and this as well. This one's one of those things. This one really hurts. Think about this implication. Okay, so it is Christ that is doing the saving. But in order for someone to be saved, what has to happen? The gospel must be preached. They had to hear somehow in order for them to be saved. It wasn't just like all of a sudden somebody's, oh, oh yeah, Christ died for me. I understand what the significance of with His shed blood dying and the atonement and, and this. No, somebody has to proclaim that to them. And, and, and so that was part of their outworking. Part of who they were. You see, a, a God-centered, God-fearing community of believers, it, it, it goes two different directions. On the one hand, it goes towards God. It goes towards worshiping Him, towards praising Him, towards His Word. And then on the other hand, it goes where? It goes out to the community. Why? Because we want to bring more in. Because we recognize how incredible the salvation is that God has given us. And so we want to pass that on to others. And so now I want everyone that did not come on Friday night with Pastor Shane evangelizing, to evangelize and raise your hand. I'm just kidding. <laughs> because I'd have to raise my hand as well. 
I, I don't say that as a, as, as a guilt, you know, shot in your heart. I, I say that as a reality to myself as well. Man, how, how am I doing in this? Am I, am I, am I giving? Am I reaching out to my fellow brothers and, and seeing them in need and, and wanting to, to help them? And, and am I reaching out to my community? And is the gospel taking root in my life in such a way that I'm sharing him with others? And pray about the next time that we do go to the mall and we partake in, in evangelism. I know how scary it is. It's scary for me. Much easier for me to go to Papua New Guinea, to be honest, in some aspects, than to go to the mall. And yet the reality is that is what we should be doing. Why? Because we have life that we can share with others. So what we've seen is, is we've seen a, just a little glimpse into this first church and what they were all about. What was so important to them? What were the things that they had in common? And I believe what it, what it shows us is it shows us what a healthy church is. A healthy church is a church that places its emphasis and its devotion on the right things. And then as a result, a God-honoring t- character then emerges through, through that whole body and through its individuals. And, and I believe if you just wanted to characterize what this church was, it, it, it's this. It's a God-exalting church. It's a loving others church. It's a worshiping church. And it's an evangelistic church. And those are pretty good things to characterize a church. And those are all things that should be characterized here with us at RBC. So let's pray to the Lord that He will allow this to be who we are. So, what can you take with you this week? Do you stand in awe of God and what He has done? If, if what you've seen in the book of Acts hasn't riveted you enough on, on, on the gloriousness of our God, look at Romans chapter 8, verses 31 to 39 in particular. It's just an awesome passage of Scripture that, that will allow you to, man, hopefully stand in awe of what God has done by giving us salvation. Are you generous? And finally, do you witness? Man, I, I ask myself these same questions as much as, as throwing them out to, to all of us this morning. We, we need to be more than just hearers of God's Word. We need to let God's Word soak deep into us, so much so that then it then comes out in the way that we live our lives. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank You. Thank You for Your Word. And how you are not silent. That you clearly show us from your word how we are supposed to function. Even though the details are different. That we don't have to do everything that we see here in in Acts 2, 43 to 47. But Lord, we do know that you want us to walk in accordance with the principles brought out in your word, Lord, that you want us to reach out to our communities and you want us to evangelize. You want us to, to wrap our arms around one another and help each other out, not only spiritually encouraging one another, but physically helping for those that have need. Thank you so much for RBC and how we already are doing that 
continue to allow us to be a blessing to those that, that call RBC their home and even that we could extend that out to those that are in need that we are made aware of, Lord. And thank you for Christ and all that he means to us. We pray that as we go out from here today that we would truly be changed and that you would allow us to walk in accordance with your word. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Hey, thanks for being with us today. It's always a pleasure to serve you with this CD ministry. And here at Rancho Baptist Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples who love God, love others, and live to reach their world for Christ. And if you have any questions regarding this sermon, or just perhaps knowing God in a deeper way, don't hesitate to give us a call. Our phone number is area code 951-676-2911. Or you can reach us on the web at www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. That's www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. Have a great day in the Lord, and God bless you as you continue to walk with Him.